Anyone know what that is? That's music to my ears. That's another sale on Shopify, the all-in-one commerce platform to start, run, and grow your business. Shopify makes it simple to sell to anyone from anywhere. Whether you're selling shirts or sandals, start selling with Shopify and join the platform simplifying commerce for millions of businesses worldwide. With Shopify, you'll customize your online store to your brand, discover new customers, and build relationships that will keep them coming back. Shopify covers all the sales channels to successfully grow your business, from an in-person POS system to an all-in-one e-commerce platform, even across social media platforms like TikTok, Facebook, and Instagram. And thanks to 24-7 support and free on-demand business courses, Shopify is here to help you succeed every step of the way. It's how every minute, new sellers around the world make their first sale with Shopify. And you can do it too. I love how Shopify makes it simple for anyone to sell their products anywhere. Whether they're eBooks or earrings, Shopify simplifies starting and running your own successful business. When you're ready to take your idea to the world, do it with Shopify, the commerce platform powering millions of businesses down the street and around the globe. Now it's your turn to try Shopify for free and start selling anywhere. So sign up for a free trial at shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite. Go to shopify.com slash c-suite, all lowercase on c-suite, to start selling online today. Shopify.com slash c-suite. You're listening to Thinking Outside the Bud, where we speak with entrepreneurs, investors, thought leaders, researchers, advocates, and policymakers who are finding new and exciting ways for cannabis to positively impact business, society, and culture. And now, here is your host, business coach, Bruce Eckfeldt. Are you a CEO looking to scale your company faster and easier? Check out Thrive Roundtable. Thrive combines a moderated peer group mastermind, expert one-on-one coaching, access to proven growth tools, and a 24-7 support community. Created by Inc. award-winning CEO and certified scaling-up business coach Bruce Eckfeldt, Thrive will help you grow your business more quickly and with less drama. For details on the program, visit Eckfeldt.com slash thrive. That's E-C-K-F-E-L-D-T dot com slash thrive. Welcome, everyone. This is Thinking Outside the Bud. I'm Bruce Eckfeldt. I'm your host. And our guest today is Joe Ori. He is co-founder and general counsel at Six Labs. We're going to talk to him about the cannabis space, the work that they're doing uh, in the cannabis market, on the cultivation, on the product side. Interesting background. Joe is still an attorney, a trial attorney. And so I think comes at this with unique perspectives, unique lenses. And I'm curious to uh, see how that has sort of shaped his view of the market and the cannabis world and how, how the industry has developed and um, really kind of see where we're going. I think there's a lot of the cannabis industry, which is framed by the regulations, the legal structure, the federal legalization. Uh, Obviously, question is kind of hanging out there right now. It's going to have a big impact in the industry. Um, So I'm just curious to to talk to Joe, see see where they're going with the business, what they see coming down the pike, and what we might be able to learn. So with that, Joe, welcome to the program. Bruce, thank you very much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Yeah, it's a pleasure to have you on. So before we kind of dig in what you're doing with Six Labs, let's understand the background. How do you go from trial attorney to cannabis founder, entrepreneur? Give us a little bit of the backstory. Sure. I started off as a as an attorney. I, I made this incredibly stupid but courageous, as it turned out, leap 
to start my own law practice right out of law school. So I uh, I didn't know how insane that was. And if I had, I probably wouldn't have done it. But 25 years later, you know, I have a full-fledged law firm, litigation firm based out of Chicago with offices in Arizona. And, you know, I've always been a serial entrepreneur, I guess. And I didn't know that uh, until, you know, I started into other ventures and restaurant touring. And, and I had a record label in the early 2000s that actually did pretty well with one album. And I've just been, you know, I've always, I, I've been pursuing my own businesses, I guess, since I graduated law school. And then I've had a passion for cannabis, personal journey with it. You know, I played football in college and I had three back surgeries. And, uh, you know, back in the 90s, opioids were just beginning to take thunder. And I was given prescriptions of Oxycontin and every other one under the sun because I was in chronic pain. And I was one of the lucky ones who didn't react well. You know, I guess there's a small percentage of people who get a high and there's a small percentage of people who get sick. I was one of those people that got sick. So I, I had no relief. I used, you know, I saw thousands of chiropractors, physical therapists, acupuncturists over the years. And then I got introduced to cannabis and, and and, you know, um, I got to be honest with you, I'm a believer to the to the 10th degree about the pain relieving qualities. Now that we're getting a little bit more specific in research and, and honing in on the actual cannabinoids that target pain, I think it's only going to get better. And the sad part is we probably could have done away with the entire opioid crisis if uh, they had done this. I actually just read an article and the NFL finally jumped in and said that players can consume cannabis over the off season without a penalty. And it's crazy. I, they were the biggest hypocrites in the world uh, for years. Yeah, exactly. You know? So that's, you know, the six labs got started by six guys. We all knew each other back in Chicago and we had an opportunity to invest in a cannabis company in Michigan. I'm an investor in other cannabis companies. And we went out there and we, we ended up saying, you know, why are we going to invest in this? We can do this. Yeah. And uh, we all actually, you know, pretty much have taken a step away from our careers all of us were in our 40s, so good things come with that. A lot of experience, and it's a little easier, I think, to raise money. But yep. you've got decisions to make about your family and your career and walking away from something that's really successful. And we all took the plunge, so we're all working you know, in the cannabis industry now, full-time. Yeah, yeah. And what were some of the challenges? I mean, I, you know, being a, kind of a licensed professional, you know, getting involved in cannabis was there. How did it play from a professional point of view, from a client point of view? I mean, you mentioned family. It was there. How do you show up to family Thanksgiving and events being the cannabis guy now? Is that is that Ooh. an issue? You know, Bruce, no one has ever asked me that question. And I, I've done a lot of podcasts recently. That's a really, really great one. I will say that you know, I grew up in a family. Parents were, you know, my father was an immigrant. My mother was close to being one. And their mentality was everything was dope. It didn't matter whether it was cannabis, whether it was heroin, cocaine, crystal meth, everything was dope. And so the stigma that I grew up with was, you know, just it's all bad. And moving toward that and having kids and, you know, Having been seeking this out for pain relief, you know, mostly it was a little bit awkward for me, but I always justified it in my mind. And then getting into the industry was a little different because I, I have a law partner and he's 61 years old. So he's not, he, if he heard this, he'd probably get mad, but he was upset in the sense <laughs> that the company, you know, had sort of elected, my partners had elected me to sort of be the spokesperson and yeah. um, the the face of the company, if you will. And I, you know, I I said, you know, okay, here we go. I'm going to do this. What's entailed? And sure enough, you know, the next thing you know, we're we're having a publicity company, and I'm, you know, on all my LinkedIn, Facebook, everything. And he was upset. And I got to be honest with you, I haven't received a single 
single note of disassociation or anybody saying anything uh-huh. negative. In fact, I've received nothing but support from the vast majority of people that were, you know, parents and friends of family members and cousins and aunts and uncles and older people on Facebook and Instagram got nothing but support. So, you know, I, I kind of did it blindly and said, you yeah. know, Hey, I believe in this. And if somebody wants to judge me, then they're going to judge me. I'm not going to, yeah. I'm not going to go cry about it. It is what it is. It's who I am, what I'm doing. Yeah. Yeah. It is. It is interesting because I think, you know, 10 years ago, it probably was different. <laughs> but You know, I certainly when I got involved, I think in the beginning, it was a little like, oh, interesting. You know, and now everyone's asking me for jobs, right? Like it becomes, you become the life of the party at, uh, at these family events now. You will know. So, yeah. So now what you have is some of the people who you didn't know crawling out of the woodwork and you got so you know i've got i've got my you know my mother-in-law you know she's she's battling some health issues and she's 70 and she came to my yeah. house over the summer she's like so you got any samples for me and you're, you know you're just you're just shocked you know you it's unbelievable so it's uh, you, you just you never know what happens but yeah it's i've got guys calling me i actually had a football coach from high school call me recently and he said listen and he's you know he he was he was sort of a hero type guy to me and mm-hmm. in the sense that i looked up to him he was a coach and he was a really great guy and he said listen he goes you know you're not going to believe this he said i i never ever really touched a drug all through college and all through my career and obviously as a, as a teacher and a coach he said but yeah. he said i'm in pain he said and i need you to tell me which ones i've been taking he goes i've been doing it for about a year and a half he said and i he goes and i i, I can't believe what i missed out on he said because it's a pretty good time as well so you know it, it's yeah. just it, it's great to have these you know like i said i i i expected backlash and i didn't didn't get any but now oh my kids are literally they that was the tough one but i had to tell yeah. them and you know daddy owns a cannabis company and now my kids mm-hmm. are like you know all their friends think i'm the coolest dad on earth you know so and and, and they actually i actually find them listening to me more you know they're like yeah. hate, they hated dad the lawyer and they uh-huh. loved dad the cannabis entrepreneur so it's it's been good yeah that's fascinating it's fascinating how it, how it plays out i'm curious professionally i mean uh, you know on one hand it seems like you know, with your legal background and understanding, like it, it's would be a huge benefit in terms of getting involved in cannabis, right? Because it's it's such a kind of legally complicated business. But I'm curious, like, what parts of your professional experience, you know, just as a business person, as a lawyer, were you able to, you know, kind of leverage into the cannabis world, and and what areas didn't didn't transfer so well, and what what did you have to learn that you weren't expecting you were going to have to learn? Oh God, I mean, I can tell you eons of things I didn't know. You know, I, I I'm a trial lawyer. So when my partners and I got together, we had the good fortune of having, as you it's almost like, this is like almost like a nursery rhyme. You know, we had an accountant who was part of the deal from day one. We had a builder who was part of the deal from day one. We had a financier who was part of the deal from day one. We had a mm-hmm. cannabis expert who, you know, who had a history of knowing about the cannabis plant, let's say. And we had myself as an attorney and we had a restaurateur who is, you know, an organizational shake your hand type of guy everybody loves. And he's got a great mm-hmm. presence, wonderful person. So we all embarked on this and we, you know, we had all, you know, we thought we had the legal, the accounting, the building. Yeah. So we, so <laughs> the, the baker, the candlestick maker. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, you know, so that worked out in the sense that if you're trying to do this and, you know, my legal career helped me mostly in, 
in networking and having a lot of contacts. And, you know, one of the things that is an advantage in being in your 40s, I think when you're going to embark on something big like this where you need to raise, you know, tens of millions of dollars, you know, on the street the hard way is that you have a lot of people. And for me, I had proven, you know, over the years to several friends and, and investors that I, I deliver which also made it easier. And a couple of my partners had the same thing. I mean, my restaurant partner had raised hard money his whole life to do this. And he had tons of people who were supportive of him because he built a restaurant, got it filled, paid people back early. All of that came and all these guys with big money, when you circle back and say, hey, we're getting in the cannabis space, people were calling us up to get in, you know? And uh, so that helped. The challenge is, you know, and I wrote an article that I think got published in some entrepreneur magazine. Unfortunately, I think it was like in Japan, but (laughs) nothing that wrong with Japan. It's just, I wish it would have got published in the United States. But, you know, I, I talk about the pitfalls of entrepreneurship and that you're never too old to start. And, you know, where I'm tying it into this is, is that it is, it's a challenge because once we got in, my partners and I, you know, first of all, we all live in Chicago. The facility's four and a half hours away. And once we got it built, we all looked at each other and said, okay, what are we going to do here now? Who's, who's moving? <laughs> who, who, you know, who's leaving their family? Who's so, yeah. and we ended up basically one of my partners moved out there permanently and with his wife and the other guys are there, you know, Monday through Friday. I am one of the lucky ones because as general counsel and now I'm doing a lot of director of communications work and spokesperson work. With COVID, it's been great because I haven't had to travel much. I've been things online. Yeah. But I'm one of the lucky ones. I only go up there a couple times a month. But my partners are, are basically going there and leaving their families and going on Sunday night, driving four and a half hours all the way up in the facility until Friday, driving home. And that's their lives now. And I, you know, I commend them for it. They probably want to punch me because I don't have to go up there as much. Um, but I wouldn't blame them. But, you know, I have my own challenges here, too, because, you know, back to, to answer your question, I didn't do any of this, this transactional work. I, I'm a trial attorney. I stand in front of judges and juries and ask for money for severely injured people. That's that's what I made my, my lot in life doing at an early age. And there's nothing to do with this except for the fact yeah. you're comfortable speaking. And um, I was probably comfortable speaking prior to becoming a lawyer. Otherwise, I wouldn't have done it. Yeah. So, yeah, exactly. you know, so, yeah. But we've had to hire, you know, my partners in, in the beginning were like, okay, Joe, Joe, do this, do this. I, I said, guys, listen, here's the deal. You know, you don't want a heart surgeon operating on your knee. They know how to cut you open. But, you know, you may bleed to death. And I think we need to bring in other attorneys. So what I end up doing now is I do a lot of the internal contract work and issues with employees, et cetera, et cetera. And we outsource, you know, obviously our corporate work and, you know, our licensing work, our our IP work, you know, and our protections with regard to patents and things like that, which, you know, really don't exist yet. But that kind of stuff is all done outsourced. But I manage all those guys. So, you know, if something goes wrong with them, everybody comes down on me and I manage all the relationships. So I'll tell you what, Bruce, if I sum it up like this, you know, I wasn't so naive to think, you know, like field of dreams, you know, if you build it, they will come. But I did think to a certain extent, growing cannabis indoors, full control of the climate, every single element is under your control. It's going to be easy and it couldn't be further from it to to perfect it like we're trying to do and make this this concept work of, of a large craft grower you know, small batches in large facility, it's challenging. It really is. And um, I'm shocked to see how much 
true business acumen is needed in all of this. You know, I, yeah. I, I'm, I'm just impressed and, you know, encouraged because we, we have an incredible team of seasoned guys, but I'll tell you, I mean, it's not as easy as it was when, you know, when guys jumped into it 10 years ago, 25 and 30 year olds and just raised money and, it was a lot easier. Now there's, you know, we're moving into the, what I like to say, the, the end of the beginning. And, you know, <laughs> so, you know, we're sort of entering this middle area where it's going to be, you know, like the car industry, I guess everybody compares it to. What do we have? 300 car manufacturers in 1925. And by 1940, there were three. So, you know, we'll see. I mean, and then you obviously got federal legalization and all of that stuff, which, you know, is is scary. I think they should give us, you know, I'm going to sound crazy, but I don't know where you stand on this. I'd be curious to hear. I think that the whole industry, I don't care how big you are. I don't care if you're Cresco or, you know, Harvest or one of these. We need more time to grow this industry state by state and let all the states topple in and then let the federal government figure it out at that point. I, I know that sounds crazy, but federal legalization is going to just bring this, this industry to a much, much quicker corporation, conglomerate-owned industry. And I don't think it's, I don't think it's ripe enough yet for that. Yeah, no, you're, you're not the first person that I've talked to that has actually not been so keen on, on seeing federalization happen quickly here because it, it, will, it will certainly change the playing field quickly. It will introduce a whole new group of players that, you know, will, will shift all sorts of kind of forces and capital structures and stuff. And yeah, I mean, it, it would be a huge, huge change. And, and yes, unfortunately, you know, most likely the, the folks that feel the brunt of that are going to be the, you know, the, the smaller players, the crap players, the people that just haven't had a chance to kind of get their feet Firmly, you know, on the ground, you know, operations stabilized and making money and stuff. So it's it'd be a it'd be a big change in the industry. Yeah, well, I mean, I look at it and I say, you know, right now, even to a certain degree, you know, like you're in New York, right, Bruce? Correct. Yeah. Right, yeah. So I actually just got off the phone this morning with. I went to school in New York, and I I have lots of friends who are attorneys there now. Was speaking to an old college buddy who's plaintiff's attorney in upstate New York. And, you know, we're trying to fortify to get our license on file there. He's got land, et cetera, et cetera. And I was explaining this to him. Even he said that Cresco was in there and they've got a lobbyist and they're, you know, this is what they're doing. He heard about this. And uh, I said, you know, here's the deal. When we go out there and I go out to New York, it doesn't matter who you are. We all have to raise money. We all have to go in, fill out these applications, work to get them done. Many of the states are doing them blindly. If you believe that they're actually doing it like that, then we're all on the same playing field, and we all have to go put our boots on the ground there. Once it goes federal, you know, the one element that takes it out of the game is the fact, you know, Wall Street and all the banks open up to it, and the people with the most get the most. And, yeah. you know, that's where you're going to lose your competitive edge in the sense that, you know, hey, I gotta, I've got to go raise $20 million, $30 million right now to get out and, and fortify a hundred thousand square foot facility in you know growth facility in New York. I can do that relatively quickly. We have a whole big, big pool of investors who are stored, still wanting to get into the original yep. deal, but it got closed Ready down. To go. So I'm almost what does Cresco have over me in the sense of at least getting my stuff situated in New York right now? They don't have much. I know how to do licenses. We have our consulting team. We've done it. And we're doing it again in Illinois right now. We're actually waiting to hear. And so we're we're ready. If yeah. this is legal federally, then I have less trust. I have less faith in the sense that it will be an even playing field, even at the licensing uh, phase. So, you know, 
We'll see. I mean, I, I don't know how it's all going to play out. It's it's exciting because you know I'm a risk taker. You can't you know you can't try cases without being a risk taker. I spend three, yeah. four, five years litigating a case, putting all my money up, all my time, all my staff's time for the possibility of winning. Twelve people believing what I said is to be true. So yeah. you know it, this is no different. Except the only thing, and it sounds corny, is that. You know, we have a lot of other people's money, and I take that very, very seriously. And, you know, my partners and I are feeling that pressure because I wouldn't have gotten involved with these men if they weren't the most honorable, diligent, hardworking guys who look you in the face and say, I'm going to get it done. But now we're all in this pool saying we got to deliver. We've got to make these people who, you know, literally we have investors who invested one million dollars. We have guys who put eight hundred thousand. We don't have that many investors. We we have a little over 40 investors and, you know, we raised tens of millions of dollars. So there's a lot of people in for a lot of money. And, you know, it's just uh, it's it's new. It's scary. It's exciting, but it's scary. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me a little bit about the strategy, right? When you approached or when you first got into the market and got your license and, and really kind of figure out how you were differentiate yourself, what, what were you going to focus on? What did you decide? I mean, where did you see the opportunity and how did you decide to take advantage of that? So we toured, we did a lot of due diligence. So we all basically at one point in time or another, multiple trips out to Colorado, California, Oregon, pounding on doors, asking people to give us tours. And we had made some connections and people did. So we did our ground game and we we came back with, the, you know, everybody did their own list and said, these are the things that I think work. These are the things we need to find problem-solving cures for. There's some pervasive issues throughout the entire industry. If we can solve those, we can differentiate ourselves. And so what we basically also thought is, you know, as we just mentioned, the possibility of, you know, federal legalization. We said, listen, if the, if the FDA gets involved in this, you know, some of what most, unfortunately, and, I, and I'm not knocking Colorado, but I got to tell you, most of what I saw there, I said, would probably be very problematic for the FDA to say that this is okay. I think Colorado lost a little bit of handle on some of the things that they were doing. There's too many players out there, and I don't think they can police them. So some of the facilities we walked through were just atrocious, and seeing the money these guys were making with what they were producing, we said, well, if the FDA gets involved, we want to make a facility, and we want to build a facility that – if we don't pass testing, if we don't pass their regulations, no one will. So what we did, you know, to be honest, is we we, we probably could have built our facility the size and scale of what it is for probably about $5 million less than we did. But we put the extra money in and we built a facility that is is every bit of, if you walked in there, you would not know the difference between that and probably walking into some laboratory at Pfizer. So um, everything from nuts and bolts to what the people have to wear to, you know, innovative, uh, you know, cleansing and uh, the fertigation system we put in and this climate control system we have, which is antiviral and just just every precaution we take. We're trying to separate ourselves from that. And, you know, we're also in a state where, you know, like I said, run by caregivers, uh, you know, I'd written an article about this recently and it's a big subject. But we, we basically said, listen, we're not, we're not the first to the table here. So we have to figure out how to separate ourselves. And we said, well, let's try to get, we realize, okay, oh, we heard this saying all the time. You've probably heard it from people. You know, we're not Walmart weed. 
you know, and <laughs> yeah. we, we, those guys are doing Walmart weed. We're doing, we're doing top shelf weed. And then you have these little tiny micro, micro grows, like a micro brewery that say, oh, we've got craft cannabis. And they do. And those guys, ironically, if you go out through the States, at least my experience is that, you know, you talk to some of these craft growers out in you know, Oregon where the price was $800 a pound. These guys are still selling theirs for 3000 and even in the other states where they have these craft grows, these guys have always been able to maintain a wholesale level price that just stays consistent. All the other players, you know, from the quote unquote top shelfers all the way to the Walmart, you know, weed growers have suffered this price compression. And so we said, let's let's try to see if we can if we can do, you know, small batch cannabis at a large scale. And, uh, you know, so far, you know, we we slow rolled everything. We started growing last year and, you know, we didn't, you know, it sounds crazy in the cannabis industry, but, you know, it's a feather in our cap. We didn't roll out and just, you know, we got 70,000 square feet of grow and we didn't roll any of that out right away. We did it small. We did it. We, we made relationships. We, you know, we, we sold only the stuff that was the best coming out of our, what we were producing. We wanted to get everything already, you know, that we had all of our systems in line, everything ready to go. And now this year is where we're starting to see that things are starting to come together. And we're going to, now we're going to start, you know, pushing out, you know, thousands and thousands of pounds of what we believe to be large scale craft grow cannabis. And, yeah. um, you know, and we, we, we don't, we don't put out anything that, you know, we believe is perfect. And we actually have a unique situation because we hired a CEO who was our branding company principal owner. And we built a relationship with him. He's young. He's, he's, he's brilliant. And he's always, and he's also a genius in marketing. So yeah. we, we ended up, he took the CEO position. So, you know, we're, we're off and ready to go. It's just, you know, obviously COVID, you know, we didn't know where the hell we were going to be. We started launching. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll never forget. We're sitting in a room. It's March. And we're all sitting in our office. We're like, okay, guys, we're going to start putting plants in the ground. Next thing you know, about a week later, governors are, you know, jumping up and down the state. We're going through a state Shut of mess, the national yeah. emergency. I'm like, okay, well, we're going to go out of business in a couple of days. So, but the governor, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm like, what, I'm like, okay, we don't have any relationships. We haven't sold any, we haven't sold any cannabis yet. Uh, and I don't know anybody who's going to buy it since everybody's staying home and nobody's got a job. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so we, we ended up getting lucky that the governors came together and made an essential business, kind of saved our asses. But, uh, you know, so, you know, it's just, it's, I hope I answered your question. I don't want to go off on tangents, but uh, I hope I responded to you. Yeah, no, no, I, I think it's, um, you know, I'm strategic coach, right? So my, my kind of view on, on every business is how are you different, right? Like, how are you going to compete in the market? How are you going to be different? And I just find it's, it's fascinating because cannabis, I think for so long has been, you know, basically it's been how much THC can I, can I, can I get out of the plant? Right. And so now things are becoming a little more interesting. People are really kind of figuring out what do customers want? What are the different products? What are the different kind of uh, avenues I can go down and what are the different players out there and how can I, how can I find a, a different angle that's going to make me successful in the market? So I think that's always a fascinating question. Yeah. I mean, if, given where the market is, I mean, you mentioned sort of COVID. I mean, obviously things have been kind of crazy, but what's been kind of your take on the market there and what have you noticed? What have been, I mean, I know there's been all sorts of kind of price fluctuations and stuff, but give me your kind of sense as, as a player in this market. What have you noticed? What do you think is going on? Well, I'll tell you first the positives. The positives that we we came through came out of a negative, actually, because right around the same time we were going to start growing, COVID hit. We were also in in, in very final negotiations for a piece of land to build our first uh, dispensary. And, you know, that stopped and halted, not so much because of what we, we were fearing about the market, but... 
it stopped because we there was nobody to build, and we just said, okay, let's see where this goes. So since then, we have we have realized this touchless platform, you know, has exponentially you know, grown quicker because of of COVID. So we came up with a concept that has been finally approved by the state. We're we're launching our pilot, and we are basically going to try to apply. I would guess best best way to say it is an Amazon concept to dispensaries, and we have. Uh, created fintech software and designed uh, cannabis lockers that are similar to Amazon lockers where it's facial recognition. And we have a card that you get and you purchase your, you, you, you put money on it and you can purchase cannabis in any community. And it's also, you know, in Michigan, there's not a lot of cities, believe it or not, that have opted in. Uh, because they don't want an element, which we can sit here and talk all day, is, is r- r- ridiculous, the element of having a dispensary. But maybe yeah. open to putting a locker outside of the city hall and having people be able to get their dispensary you know, cannabis there without having mm-hmm. to have interaction and also make some tax revenue. So we're launching our first pilot in a couple of weeks. So we're super excited because we think this platform is, is going to be huge. And that's one of the good things that I think differentiates us at this point. From from the other side, we've seen some crazy things happen in Michigan that, you know, I'm speaking on and I've met with some congressional members and, you know, we saw price compression in wholesale cannabis in Michigan from, you know, somewhere 35 to 4,000 a pound in, you know, in, in, in drop within three months to 1,000. And yeah. it's just impossible for that to be something that is price compression because the research indicates it took almost you know, four years for that price compression to occur in, in Oregon. It took three months in Michigan. And we looked at another statistic that was very telling is that Colorado did about, you know, close to $2.1 billion in sales last year with almost, you know, with a little over 1 million plants. And Michigan did uh, just south of a billion in the summer, $980 million, so let's say a billion, with, a, with just mm-hmm. south of 200,000 plants. Now, even if you factored in just, you know, the fact Michigan growers are great and they get way more yield, it's impossible. So, you know, to me, that's the biggest issue we're facing in Michigan right now because the appetite is, is immense, you know, and it's, you know, the, the industry, you know, and, and when you see what goes into creating clean and safe and perfect cannabis in our environment, you can't, I can't even imagine what all this black market cannabis has in it. You know, it's like all these kids who smoked cannabis back in the 70s, 80s, 90s, I don't even know what they're mm-hmm. putting in their body. Because we, we, we control our environment. We do everything yeah. we can. We, we don't use pesticides. Everything is, is perfect. And we still have things in the cannabis that shouldn't be in it. You know, so I, I caution people who are still, you know, trying to save the extra 15, 20% because of the taxes. You know, when you have this t- cannabis available to you on a shelf that's been tested and been stamped as clean and safe, why you would ever go and, and, and still deal with black market people, I have no idea. But well, it's got to. I mean, because they don't know, right? I think that's a lot of lot of the issue in the industry right now is people just not being well educated on you know what goes into the process, what's the difference between products, how to tell the difference, you know, why why these things are important, you know, and from a consumer point of view. Yeah, I mean, and that's the thing. Education is going to be the key, I think. You know, because in regulate I mean, enforcement, I don't think it's going to ever do it. But what you need to do is what they did with the alcohol industry after prohibition. They said, okay, we branded perfectly. They said, well, our alcohol, I don't know how this could have been a thing, but our alcohol is safer. You know, people died of moonshine. There was bad stuff in it. So they, they did it from a branding, marketing perspective, and also from basically saying, hey, this is safer. This is clean. 
clean alcohol. You're gonna, you're not going to die from it. It's not being made in someone's backyard, you know, bathtub. So, it, yeah. it, you know, it's a lot. It's going to come from education and really taking the stigma away completely, so that you know you can talk to your kids and you can talk to mm-hmm. you, you know, and you can put initiatives out there that say, hey, listen, you know, don't buy cannabis. Don't buy vape cartridges from third-party people in the black market. They're dangerous. And yeah. you will start seeing the sentiment start changing. But it, I think we're a ways away because I don't think the stigma is completely gone yet. And I think, unfortunately, you know, on the flip side, the federal legalization probably will open up, you know, that that opportunity. Until that happens, I don't think people are going to be, you know, putting out public initiatives to say smoke safe cannabis, don't smoke, you know, street cannabis. Yeah. Joe, this has been a pleasure. If people want to find out more about you, more about Six Labs, what's the best way to get that information? So, you know, you can, you know, we're in over 60 dispensaries in Michigan right now and, and climbing. And you can check us out at sixlabscannabis.com or www.sixlabs.com, and you can follow me on Twitter at Joseph Ori one or Facebook Joseph Ori dot nine. I don't know where that dot nine came from. I got to talk to my, <laughs> and then and then I do a lot of things. I publish almost everything on LinkedIn under Joe Ori. So yeah, thank you very much, Bruce. You, you run a great show here, and I listen to it from time to time. And uh, you know, I, I I'm very impressed. Thank you. I'll make sure all the links and everything are on the show notes so people can get that information. And I really appreciate it. It's been a pleasure having you on. Thank you, sir. You have a good day. That's it for this episode of Thinking Outside the Bud. Be sure to subscribe using your favorite podcast app so you don't miss our future episodes. See you next time. You've been listening to Thinking Outside the Bud with business coach Bruce Eckfeld. To find a full list of podcast episodes, download the tools and worksheets and access other great content visit the website at thinkingoutsidethebud.com. And don't forget to sign up for the free newsletter at thinkingoutsidethebud.com forward slash newsletter. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.